Swinging a fly ball, left field. It's deep. Going back is Duncan at the fence. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Stafford takes the snap. Sets in the pocket. Rolls left. This is going to be it. Go back to fire for it. He went for it all. Rises, goes for three. It's through. Got turned to Malkin over the Detroit line, pushes it forward, back in, but oh, I'm gonna say! It's been a break. It's, this is our all-star break, Chris, but we are back. We have been gone a week. Thank you, everybody. I took a vacation to the wonderful country of France, and if you ever have a chance to go, go. It was amazing. One of the cleanest city- Paris is one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in. Uh, not as much French national team gear as I was hoping for, but that's fine. But we are now back. We have a lot to talk about. We are the Detroit Sports Show, as you know, because you were listening to us. You've also probably subscribed, but if not, and you're just finding us for the first time, be sure to find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, subscribe, share with any of your friends, all of your friends, and of course, follow us on Tumblr as well as on Facebook. So our Tumblr is the thedetroitsportsshow.tumblr.com, and then it's the Detroit Sports Show for our Facebook. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Burke. You can find him at chrisburke underscore SI. You can find me at Drew underscore Tomlinson. But let's get him in here. Chris, how are we doing? Two-week break. We are back. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good after Watching the Tigers go sweep three in Boston. I cannot figure out that team for the life of me, but it was a fun series there. Uh, happy to have you back. Glad you enjoyed your trip. Uh, I'm ready for the calendar to flip into August here because that means football and that means falls around the corner and hockey starting up, basketball again. So uh, fall's my favorite season of the year, weather-wise and sports-wise, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, fall is also my favorite season of the year, and we're going to talk about two of those three sports. So without further ado, let's dive in. And, you know, Chris is our resident NFL expert working over at Sports Illustrated. Be sure to check him out online. But the Lions this week signed Anquan Bolden. It's something that we talked about slash teased about on the podcast. It looks like it's going to be official, although it's not signed yet. So I would feel better if that would be Sign. We're, we're recording on the 27th, the Wednesday. But, I mean, just right off the hop here, Chris, I mean, the Bolden deal's official. I know Dave Burkett wrote today that he, he likes the move but hopes the Lions still commit to T.J. Jones. Now that it's real, what, where do you think Bolden fits in in this sort of wide receiver long jam? It does seem as if uh, Corey Fuller might be hurt. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's where Bolden fits in. But where do you think he fits? I mean, I think it's a great sign. I mean, I think it's done. I think it'll happen. And maybe they're waiting for camp to start. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, it, it's done. I think it was interesting, too, to hear the report that uh, he picked Detroit over Philadelphia and New Orleans, in part because he wanted to be with a team he thought could contend this year. I think that's a, probably the biggest vote of confidence that the Lions have gotten in a while. Uh, he obviously has some ties to Jim Caldwell and stuff, too, so that I'm sure that didn't hurt. But in terms of where he fits, I mean, this is a really, really – interesting offense and I was talking about it with uh, a couple of folks over at, at SI the other day when they were about to sign Bolden and I think it's very possible that Matthew Stafford is better 
maybe not statistically, but better as a quarterback without Calvin Johnson because of the way that they've rebuilt the system without Calvin Johnson. I think you got to give Bob Quinn a ton of credit for what he's done uh, bringing guys in this offseason because, uh, you know, Marvin Jones, Golden Tate are obviously two very versatile guys. TJ Jones is another one. You bring in Anquan Bolden, I think, you know, he's uh, towards the tail end of his career, but what he gives you beyond the experience, beyond the toughness, is someone who can play outside, can win in those uh, contested catch spots that Calvin Johnson used to win in quite a bit, let you kick Golden Tate into the slot when you're playing three receiver sets, maybe Marvin Jones into the slot if you want to get creative, so a little more flexibility there. And I think we're going to see him on the field quite a bit. Stafford is definitely, if, assuming they can develop a decent rapport, Stafford should trust him a lot when he goes back to throw, especially in those you know short to medium yardage spots. So I think it's a great signing for them. You know the T.J. Jones thing. I guess you worry about because you want to see that development. He's shown some flashes, but. I think this only helps him, to be honest. Assuming assuming he makes the roster, that'll be interesting to see. But I think you have to figure he's one of the top five, maybe six receivers if they carry six, with Tate Jones, Bolden, TJ Jones, and and maybe Jeremy Curley. Um, I don't think it necessarily is a bad thing. It probably cuts into his snaps. But, you know, let him sit and learn for another year. He's still got uh, – I think he has one more year left on his deal after this year. So – you still have some time to bring him along. This isn't a long-term signing in Bolden. I, I'm more interested to see if it cuts into what they are planning to do with Eric Ebron or even Theo Riddick. You know, if they are going to go three wide more often, like I said, and you're moving Tate into the slot, you're moving on occasion maybe Marvin Jones into the slot, does that mean you're not moving Ebron into the slot as much? Or does that mean you're not getting uh, Riddick some of those looks? So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of weapons now. You got to figure out how to get the ball to all of them. But I think it's a great signing. I don't know. How'd you feel? I mean, I love it. I you know I always love the kind of veteran. I mean, you know, Super Bowl winner, been to two, succeeded in two. Really, I mean, the Arizona one. I thought he played, you know, pretty well in. So, I, I mean, what's not to love about the deal? He's been around. You always love a guy picking. In all honesty, a guy that picks the lines over somebody else for something other than money is always a, a good good show for me. I think you mentioned the TJ Jones. I think he could fit in on punt returns, kick returns. I think the Lions very much would like to not have Amir Abdullah on kick and punt returns. While he was dangerous last year, you know, I think they're hoping he doesn't fumble quite as much and becomes a more featured part of this offense. What I think is very interesting is that Bolden has picked, you know, by, he went over Philly. I think you said it was Philly and New Orleans. So he picked over Carson Wentz, and Sam Bradford and Drew Brees to pick Matthew Stafford. And so this is going to be a callback from probably a month and a half ago. But David Carr said that he thought Matthew Stafford was the number one underrated quarterback in the NFL. And today, NFL HQ said that Matthew Stafford's the number five thread-the-needle quarterback in the league. So I think maybe Stafford is starting to get a little bit of a name for himself on what he's able to do for some of these receivers and how he can help them create space or help them succeed. It's no longer, I'm wondering if last year's decline in Calvin and second half success in Stafford helped people really kind of see that it wasn't necessarily just Calvin 
inflating what Stafford can do, but Stafford also helping Calvin at times. So I'm excited from that. I've always felt like I was a Stafford apologist. So for more than anything, I like Bolden picking Stafford because I I do like him as a quarterback. He's a little frustrating, but he reminds me of like, you know, kind of like Brett Favre. I mean, really he is. He's kind of go for it or, you know, you might throw a great touchdown into triple coverage or he's going to throw one of the worst interceptions you've ever seen. But I think that's what excites me at the Bolden signing. And I like guys that want to come here. You know, I, I do think Detroit's a fun city to play in and the Lions are fun when they're good. So I like it when guys want to come come play for this team. Yeah, I mean, I think, it again, you sort of have to wait and see exactly what this offense is going to be. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know for a long stretch, at least last year, part of last season, Stafford's yards thrown per attempt uh, were way down. So in other words, the distance he was he was throwing the ball on, on each pass, not necessarily how much those com- completions went for or anything like that, but just the distance he was throwing per pass was down. And I think that's a good thing for him. I think that, you know, you want to stretch the field, and that's the only thing really still missing, I think, is that, that true deep threat. And, I, again, I think Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, can give you some of that. Anquan Bolden is not that guy, No, whether you're playing him outside, whether you're playing him in the slot. And he certainly can be in the slot, too. Um, because he has that sort of inside game. He's sharp on those routes, you know, getting inside, getting outside. Um, so, again, that flexibility, they have a lot of ways that they can go at a team sideline to sideline, but they don't have a ton of ways to go at a team goal line to goal line, so to speak. You know, they don't have that deep threat. I don't know. Uh, you mentioned Corey Fuller. I guess I'll flip this sort of back to you. I mean, I don't think Corey Fuller makes this team at this point the way it looks. I mentioned those Five, six guys. I mean, I don't think TJ Jones would be on the roster bubble. I, I assume Jeremy Curley makes it into the regular season. So that's five. So do you think they carry six? And if they do, is it Fuller? Is it Andre Caldwell? Andre Roberts is there. Yeah. Um, they brought in three, three or four undrafted free agents. Who's your. What do you think this re- receiver roster looks like in week one? So here's the full list of wide receivers. I've got it right in front of me before the season starts. You have Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, TJ Jones, Jeremy Curley, Andre Roberts, Andre Caldwell, Corey Fuller, who's on the pup. And then you have your undrafted guys, Jace Billingsley, Damian Copeland, who I don't, I don't, I think this is the second year. I'm not sure though. Quinshot Davis, Jay Lee, and Ryan Spadola. I think Lee, Billingsley, Davis, and Spadola are probably all destined for the probably the practice squad would be my guess. I don't think they're going to lose them. And so then it does come down to Roberts, Caldwell, and Fuller. And we've sort of already, well, and Bolden, who's not on the list. We do, we get it back into that sort of, what can they do on special teams? Bolden's not going to give you anything on special teams. So if you think you have Jones, Tate, and Bolden, who probably aren't playing special teams, you then got to figure out, is TJ Jones, Jeremy Curley, Roberts, or Caldwell going to do it? Caldwell could be your deep. I think he could. I mean, Andre Roberts played deep threat, was a deep threat for the Redskins last year. He wasn't very good, but he was one. And I think Caldwell's been kind of a go route guy in the past. You know, if Roberts could win a punt return job, I could see him making it. But yeah, I was going to say, I think Roberts, maybe of those guys you named, has the best chance special teams wise. Caldwell at this point, I think, is. I really don't see a role for Caldwell. Maybe they, I mean, I, honestly, he gun. was kind of the well, he was kind of the veteran guy. Yeah. He was the veteran 
steady in hand, and now they have Bolden. So I think Caldwell is probably one of the first cuts, to be honest, unless someone gets hurt, because they don't need – just talked about how they already don't have room in the slot. I, he's not someone that's going to really play outside for you. He's not going to play on special teams a ton, or at least not that effectively. So I think he's probably one of the first guys out. I wouldn't – if they decide to keep six – at wide receiver, which is possible. One of the reasons I think it's possible is because they're so thin at tight end. Yeah. And maybe they keep two tight ends and six receivers, something like that. Um, Who's the biggest receiver th- out of all of that? Is it Cope? I thought Copeland was a rather Jones? large guy. I mean, like, I'm taking, like, oh, weight I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I, the, I think that that's, I mean, Quinshaw Davis is a, is a decent-sized guy. I mean, none of the, I think he's 6'3", 6'4". 10 range. Um, I was going to say, I think you keep an eye on Davis who made some, as you just kind of pointed out as a big body guy, he made some really nice plays in college. And I think Jay Lee is the other one who's really interesting from Baylor because that, the, the missing deep threat that is, I don't know that he's going to give you anything else as an NFL wide receiver ever in his career. But the one thing Jay Lee probably can do is just go deep. And that's sort of what he did uh, a lot of the time at Baylor. So if they wanted to keep a six guy, kind of develop him, um, let him play some special teams, he's got speed. I wouldn't be shocked if they end up going with one of the rookies as the sixth guy, one of the undrafted rookies, if they end up keeping six. And and I would probably put Jay Lee towards the top of that list. Yeah, I think my you mentioned he thought Caldwell was going to be the first cut. The only reason I think he could stick around would maybe be a comfort level thing for Marvin Jones, just since they played together at Cincinnati and whatnot, I wonder if they'd keep Caldwell around just to sort of help. I think Caldwell did play a large role before Jones came in. I could see, I wonder if they'd keep him for there. I could see Jeremy Curley being an early cut. He seems like a, I know he can pick it out of the backfield too, but I just don't really, with Bolden in there, I just, I never really quite saw where Curley fit to begin with. And now I really don't see a fit because even if you were to run a two slot, Set. Now you have Tate and Jones with Tate and TJ Jones, and now you'd have Marvin and Bolden on the outside. So I think Curly could be. I just, I just don't think Jeremy Curly's that good. But I know a lot of. Well, see, I, that's where I, I guess I'd probably disagree. I, I don't think he's an all pro, but I always thought he was an underrated player for the Jets. And when he got a chance, and when they had halfway decent quarterback play when he was there, he. He was a decent player for them out of the slot. And again, it's that same spot on the field. Do you have room for him? But he can give you some special teams. I don't know that it would come down to money. His contract's a little bigger than Caldwell's. Um, they got a ton of it. They've got a ton of So I don't think it necessarily, that would be a deciding factor. I, find, I would find it very hard to believe that both Caldwell and Curley make it to week one, given the construction of this roster. Uh, as you, you know, I, I, I said, I think Caldwell will be a, a cut, maybe an early cut. You're probably right. I think there's really no reason to cut him now. Right. Cause you have an injury or two and then you need someone like that. You need one of those veteran guys and certainly there'll be playing time in the preseason. So you may as well see what you have, see what, um, you know, Curly and these guys can do again. I don't, I don't think TJ Jones would wind up on the roster bubble because of the upside he's shown, but. I also don't know that I would lock him in as 100% safe for the duration of his rookie contract because, you know, I, if they're signing guys to sort of kick down his playing time, 
you know, part of it's opportunity that Anquan Bolden was there. He gives you something you didn't really have on that team, gives you another veteran. But I think it also says maybe that they weren't totally comfortable giving TJ Jones, you know, the starting slot job or competing for the starting slot job. So, again, I don't think he's on the roster bubble going into camp, but if he has a really terrible camp in preseason, maybe he gets a little nervous. I mean, there's also nothing to say. We're talking like Bolden's a set. I mean, let's face it, it's also a one-year deal, a veteran. There's nothing to say that Bolden will come out and just not fit. I think they'll give him a long leash, but, you know, say Jones and another guy, you know, like you said, maybe it's, you know, Davis or, you know, Jay Lee come out and have, you know, amazing camps and preseasons. You know, I wonder if they would look to see whether or not Bolden does fit or if they could do what we've seen Geez, I can't even. Um, Martin Mayhew had done in the past and flip guys towards the end for you know a seventh round pick or something like that. You mean during the, the regular season just, or before? Yeah, I don't. Th- I mean, I think he's on. there. I, just, I think I could he's there for the fit. duration of that contract. I mean, I think he'll fit. I think he'll fit well. I think he meshes pretty well. The the one of the things you like about Bolden is that he's sort of uh, scheme diverse, you know, because. You know, you don't necessarily think of him as being like a spread offense type guy or anything like that. Or you, you know, you, we don't think of him as being, and he's not uh, a super quick receiver. But the things that he can do so well, again, he's just a really, really solid, reliable possession receiver. Knows how to use his body well. He doesn't need. You mentioned Stafford being so good at you know getting some recognition for being able to thread the needle. Um, and he makes some mistakes in those situations, but he tries those throws and he zings it in there. Bolden doesn't need a whole lot of room to make catches. Uh, and again, that's something that the Lions took a big step back in in the receiving core, losing Calvin Johnson. They didn't have the, that guy who wins a lot of you know 50-50 balls. So Bolden's not necessarily going to go up and get him in the red zone, but he'll help you move the chains. And and so I I think he'll have a role. I I think you lock him, Tate. Marvin Jones, and probably TJ Jones in as your top four. And I really think Curly will be there. So, again, you know, that's five of potentially six spots. Um, but overall, I mean, it is a really, really interesting offense because of how many different things that they can do. And I think it's going to suit Matthew Stafford really well. And maybe even the run game finally shows up the way they think it will because of how – capable they are of, of spreading the field and that hasn't been you know even with Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate both on the field last year it was hard to really draw extra guys out of the box you know you put two or three on Calvin but you know that was it teams were okay covering Golden with you know one-on-one maybe some safety help no one else challenged you there's never been up until about the midpoint of last season when they really discovered Theo Riddick and they you know, figured out what they could do with T.J. Jones, they haven't really had three, four, five pass-catching options that they could really count on. It's always been Calvin, you know, Golden Tate, or Nate Burleson, or one other guy, and that's it. And now, suddenly, there's, you know, you've got three to four proven players at wide receiver. You've got a tight end with a lot of upside. You've got pass catching running backs. I mean, if if they can't move the ball consistently through the air with this offense, I think that this puts a ton more pressure on Matthew Stafford now. 
he should have a really good season. But if he doesn't, I think you've got it. Then you really start to ask those tough questions about him. Yeah, and so you mentioned the running backs. You've Abdullah, Riddick, Ridley, and Zach Zenner. You also have Michael Burton and George Wynn, but I don't really consider them running backs. So you know, Zach Zenner. If well, they're trying. They're you know, people are starting to talk up the preseason battle between Ridley and Zenner. You know, with all of the wide receivers in the mix, if that battle's close, you know, it really could start to come down to: Are you keeping an extra running back? Or are you keeping an extra wide receiver? And you mentioned Bolden with the the chain moving, pass catching ability with Brandon Pettigrew sort of unavailable, who has sort of been the security blanket of this offense in years past. You know, him not being available or not really knowing his status, Bolden really becomes more more valuable there. Uh, so, you know, we're going to see what comes from the the next few weeks. I do want to get us to some college football. Do you have any last thoughts for what you want people to look forward to, or what you're looking forward to as the Lions open up? off-season camp yeah I mean just quickly on that running back spot I think that is a good point that you bring up that that's going to be a a battle too because I think everyone's kind of assuming that Ridley's going to be on the roster but that's a one-year deal for a guy coming off injury issues so you need that big back but if you're assuming Abdullah Theo Riddick are taking most of the snaps out of the backfield if Ridley can't show he's healthy Maybe that that is what opens the door for Zenner or George Wynn. And I think there will be some competition, certainly, for the third and fourth running back spots, depending on how many they keep. And uh, Wynn gives them some some life on special teams. Wynn can help them there where maybe those other guys can't. So I, I would not rule out George. It sounds sort of crazy to say that George Wynn can make the roster and Stephen Ridley might not. But I think that's entirely possible that that winds up happening. So... That that battle to kind of fill out the depth chart at that position, at tight end, um, certainly along the offensive line, if we're talking about the offense, uh, all those things, you know, they've got four or five weeks now to kind of figure out. Yeah, I mean, and he's really the only between he, – he's the best between the tackle bruiser they sort of have. On the, you know, Riddick's a primary pass catcher. Abdul is shifty. Ridley has, you know, he's been more of an out, you know, kind of – outside and go a little between the tackles and Zenner's been a between the tackle guy, but Wynn is the only one that's, you know, not coming off of a significant, significant knee injury. It's amazing sitting here talking to you about this to think about how different this roster is in just a year. I mean, Bob Quinn really has put his mark on what the lions are. I mean, almost a completely new offensive line, almost a completely new receiving core almost a completely new running back core, you know, linebackers about the only thing that hasn't really been touched. So, you know, I think, I think I think it's fascinating. I think there's a, a little too much emphasis probably placed on needing a big back. And it'd be nice to have one. I think they will have at least one, whether it's Ridley or Wynn or Zenner. I think one of those guys fills that role. But the offensive line blocks the way it should, and you're in third and one. Amir Abdullah can pick you up short yardage. I mean, he was... I don't he know wasn't a, I've never seen that from the Lions. He wasn't a two-down back at Nebraska. I mean, he was a guy that they trusted in pretty much all situations. So, uh, And if they, this offense is what you think it's going to be, I don't know how much they're they're running the football on third and two anyway. You know, I, I, don't, I think their safer play on third and two, given the way this roster's set up at the moment, is to put five receivers out and throw a short pass. But We'll see. We'll see what Jim Bob Cooter dials up oh. when push comes to shove. Vintage Jim Bob Cooter. I just don't want to see any more Matthew Stafford third and one or fourth and goal line 
sneaks because they don't have any ability to do anything other than that. Jake Rudock can be your short yardage <sighs> quarterback. Jake the snake. Don't even, don't get me excited about this. I think he will be Dan Orlovsky, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We have a long camp to go. I do want to get to Michigan, Michigan State for a little bit. You know, first to start it, you know, definitely thoughts of condolences out to the Michigan State Spartan family, to Mike Sadler family, as well as to the Nebraska family. You know, I don't, um, I'm not, I don't know his name, but there, there was a Nebraska and a Michigan State punter in that car accident. Uh, you know, thought, thoughts and prayers to that. He was, you know, super young, seemed like a good guy. Always sad to to hear about that. And he was definitely uh, Sam Fultz. Sam the... Fultz, yes, thank you. From from that though, you know, I think Michigan State will carry a heavy heart this year as as will you know even the Michigan fans. Let's let's remember that as well. So uh, from that though, we're going to transition into something that Michigan State fans probably don't want to hear right out of that, and that is that the Michigan Wolverines are the betting favorite to be the national champions, which is awesome for you and I since we tend to root for Big Blue. But I'm a little scared. I don't I don't like going in with all these expectations, especially for a team that is still relatively unproven on offense. What do you think about that? I mean, are you as confident as the people in Vegas are? I mean, I think, and I, I say this with, I said, I, I'm very much looking forward to September. I think that the schedule sets up nicely for them to get off to a really hot start and be a top 10 team. I think that's absolutely ludicrous, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it, it's possible, certainly, that they can get out of the Big Ten and you know run this schedule at 11-1, and 12-0, win the Big Ten championship, go to the playoffs. I think it's, it's very possible, and I think uh, defensively they should be outstanding. Um, they got a lot of talent at wide receiver, a lot of, ton of talent at tight end. Run game should be good. I mean, there you said there are questions at offensive line. They don't have a quarterback yet. I mean, they do, but they John don't. John O'Corn. I mean, probably John O'Corn. I think Wilton Spade's probably going to push him right down to the wire. But, you know, you're going in without a quarterback, first and foremost, or without a set starter at quarterback right now. The schedule's also pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, you, you look half, at it yeah. and you see, you look at it and you, right, the back half. You see that they start with five in a row at home. You know, the non-conference schedule's pretty cushy. Um, you get Wisconsin-Penn State to open. Those are games at home they sh- will be favored in, assuming it doesn't fall apart for whatever reason in September. But, yeah, <laughs> the last, you know, the back half of the season, you're going to Michigan State, you're going to Iowa, you're going to Ohio State. It's going to be awfully tough to run the table there. And I think people are overlooking Everyone's talking about the trip to Michigan State, the trip to Ohio State. I think people are overlooking how very, very difficult it is to win in Iowa, oh, especially at night, especially November. when the weather's cold. And this is a really good Iowa team with a, an experienced, dangerous quarterback. I, that's, I think they're the clear favorite on the other side of the Big Ten, um, and maybe a team that Michigan sees twice by you know playing him once there and playing him in the Big Ten championship, I think that could get that rematch. But I, Michigan's been historically bad in the last probably decade at Iowa. It, I just don't think they run the table. So can they get to the playoff at twelve and one? Sure, but you know one loss leaves you with not much wiggle room, especially when when they won't have a great non conference win most likely. Uh, assuming you know Colorado or. Central Florida doesn't wind up being a surprise top 25 team. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, I think they deserve to be right there in the discussion with Michigan State, Ohio State as favorites on that side of the Big Ten. <laughs> Beyond that might be uh, buying into the Harbaugh hype, but I think for me, the one I mean, the one thing if Michigan fans want to step away from the ledge now, now you know, I, Chris has talked us all back, but one thing that to hold sort of in your back pocket to realize is people think that this year's Alabama team is not going to be quite as good. There really doesn't seem to be a real powerhouse out of the SEC. Like there had, you know, there are some years where you've looked at an Auburn or an Alabama or a Florida. And I think the SEC is still the SEC. It's still going to be good, but you know, Ole Miss isn't going to be quite the same. I, I, there's not going to be, I think that major powerhouse in the SEC. So you could see a lot of team one lost teams, sort of vying for a last playoff spot and you know not to I'm not making light of any of this but in all honesty with Baylor who knows where their program will be at some point they've had a lot of allegations that have come out so none of the football stuff matters but when talking about the playoff who knows if they're going to even be allowed to be in it come this time yeah so there are a lot of spots open I think you've hit the. I'm really sad Alex Malzone has not turned into a better quarterback because I think there are so many good sayings that you could come up with. I mean, it's such a great last name, but there is no quarterback really. The wide receiving core. I mean, let's face it. The end of last year when they needed a big play, it turned into putting Jabril Peppers into the game and him picking up you know eight, nine, ten, twenty yards. So you know, is there going to be some kind of evolution in the passing attack more than what turned into a lot of misdirections and Davion Smith while good last year was has not been you know he's not a four five six yard back so well you know I, I mean I I think he the receiving core I think will be very if Darbo and Chesson are healthy that's a dangerous receiving core and we saw how good Chesson can be in the bowl game I mean he took oh, the yeah, definitely. To school. I mean so they should be fine at wide receiver they've got some young guys coming up Davion Smith and um you know, Ty Isaac reportedly had a big offseason. They again, Kareem Walker. They bringing in talent there. So the the quarterback. Look, if he he turned Jake Rudock into an NFL draft pick and potentially into an NFL backup quarterback, depending on what the Lions yes. do. And at the start of last season, Jake Rudock was not that. Oh, agreed. When he came to Michigan, I mean, even after the first week, that game at Utah, you're kind of wondering, are they going to switch? You know, are they going to have to make a QB change by October? Because it didn't. We we still weren't sure if it was going to click. And by the end of the season, he was playing maybe better ball than any other Big Ten quarterback. To be quite honest, because um, you know, if you remember, Connor Cook got banged up towards the end of the year, so uh, he was playing extremely good football for a long stretch of the season. You know, can you get that again? I think they can. I mean, I think Wilton Spade has shown some things. I think John O'Corn will be fine. And I think he, he's got some athleticism and he's got some experience. So those are those are big things. And quite frankly, if this offense runs the way it should, he doesn't need to be phenomenal because there are enough guy, enough playmakers to just get the ball out to. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we get closer to the season. Uh, that defense, we've seen Michigan State, sort of rely you know, rely on being able to run the football and then just clobbering teams defensively up front and out wide at cornerback. And Michigan has that set up this year. Their defensive line could be 
it should be one of the best in the conference, if not the country. You've got Peppers now playing linebacker and kind of floating as a rover, could do a ton of things with him. Jordan Lewis might be a first-round draft pick. Taco Charles uh, going to play his way into one of the top defensive I, I linemen. Mean, they're really good. Uh, the linebacking core, aside from Peppers, is a question mark, but the defensive line and the cornerback spots both should be excellent, and that's you know that's not all you need to win a championship, but that's sort of a uh, a tried and true starting point to have those two. So, uh, you know, I, I think they will be, a, they should be a very very good team, and they obviously were well coached last year and should be again. So, the the bar deserves to be high given what they did but <laughs> to say national championship right now the way I mean I think that's that's putting the bar extremely high especially if uh, I I'll just say I'm not racing to Vegas to put my money I think it ended up, it. I think right I think it had second. more to do with the betting line I think it was a good juicy well, right. betting line they were not sure. high favorites I think so you know, I think people have to remember that, but it does make a fun talking point. And I think they will be good. I mean, it's Big Ten or bust, really, at this point. It, you know, they, they should get to the championship with where Ohio State's supposed to be this year, where Michigan State, we'll get to that in a minute, is supposed to be this year. They should come out of that division and go to the Big Ten championship. I mean, at this point, and where they were last year and what that defense should be. Uh, you know, at least they should. Maybe. It shouldn't be a, <laughs> it shouldn't be like a let's hope, you know, if, 40 things happen, maybe they can make it. I mean, it, well, I think it's also important to remember that they have beaten Michigan State once in the last. And I don't think they scored a touchdown in that game. Eight years, seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, As everyone remembers from our show opening, they didn't beat them last you know, year. You know, they, they ha- obviously haven't had much success against Ohio State. The only Ohio State team they've beaten recently was the, the Luke Fickle coach team. They haven't won in Columbus and. Uh, I don't even. I honestly Almost two decades. No, that's too long. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, no, that's too long. Right? Maybe not. No, that's too long. They beat him in the two thousands in the in the horseshoe. Uh, yes. I'm just keep yeah. talking. I'm gonna look this yes. up. Yeah. I don't. I can't remember the last time, the last exact year that they won there. It's certainly been a long time since they won in Columbus. So again, you got you got to go on the road to both those places. You got to prove that you got to you can win those games, and you still got to go to Iowa. I don't think Penn State, Wisconsin are necessarily pushovers to start the year. And I think we're you know, I, and this is part of why I say eleven and one. 10 and 2 even would be a really good regular season. I think they should be expected to not far off. It was 2000 the last time that they beat Ohio okay. State. They're at at Columbus. at Columbus. Their in-house expectations to be should be to get to the Big 10 championship, but they've never been to the Big 10 championship game. So to just assume, you know, just sit here and say, well, they're the odds on favorites, you know, maybe Vegas-wise that's true, but we know Ohio State's going to win. I mean, I, you look at Urban Meyer's record there, fifty and five or whatever it is. It's ridiculous. And then they still have J.T. Barrett at quarterback. They keep bringing in top ten recruiting classes, top five recruiting classes. They're going to be loaded up with talent again. And by the time Michigan gets there in November, they'll be playing their best football this season. I'm sure. It, I, I can't imagine they'll have a repeat of what happened when they played Michigan State this past year, where they, you know, just kind of lost the plot there for a bit. Um, so they'll be, I think they'll be more formidable than 
people seem to be giving them credit for. And same thing for Michigan State. Maybe I'm jumping the transition into Michigan That's State. Okay, we can do it. This, it's a program now that is set up in a lot of ways. You know, the way Ohio State is to some extent now, and the way Ohio State was for a long time, the way Michigan was for a long time. Where if they go eight and four, people should be mad because that you know that program should have the stability and it has the, you know has the experience and and all those things to be a nine ten win team every single year. So I. I think that that the the Big Ten East race is going to be thrilling to watch. I and I don't know that anyone runs the table, so uh, I, I I assume someone from the Big Ten gets into the playoffs if there's a one loss Big Ten team, but I don't know that anyone goes through unscathed. No, I definitely agree with that one. I think for Michigan State, while we'll make the transition, you know, much like Michigan, they have a question mark at quarterback, although their replacement is going to be a lot more than what Michigan is replacing in Jake Rudock. You know, while he may have had, while injured, he may have had a, a less than stellar second half. You know, Connor Cook was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think if not for some peripheral stuff, maybe with his family, would have been a higher draft pick in the NFL. So now Michigan State's got to replace Connor Cook, who people thought could contend for a Heisman. Right now, it sounds like it's going to be Tyler O'Connor, but it's, we're not really sure what we're going to get out of O'Connor. He didn't exactly light the world on fire last year when he came in. He seemed steady, but not amazing. You know, Michigan State's also replacing pieces along both lines, and I think most of their linebacking core, if I'm not correct. But they, like you said, are coming off many, many years of success specifically on that defense. So, and Patton and Narduzzi, while last, last year, his recruits should be the ones that are taking over the spots now. So the question then becomes Michigan State, where are they in the development of a program? Are they, to make a comparison, are they where Auburn was, where Auburn was really good, lost some players, scuttled for a few years and then came back? Or are they going to be like where closer to where Ohio State is, where every year they just pump talent out? And I, I do wonder for Mark D'Antonio, I mean, the calls come every year, whether or not this is a big year for Michigan State, because if they don't succeed, I do wonder whether or not Mark D'Antonio won't get an itch to go maybe to the NFL. I can't see him leaving. I, I don't see him I, either, but I could see, you know, if they turned him in, leaving. you know, if they turned in a four-win season and then it looks like, well, we're years away. Well, you know, again, I don't think that. Happens. I don't think it happens. I mean, I, I look at their and especially, you know, you don't want to boil everything down to just schedule because teams lose at home, teams wind up being better than we think. There's always a couple trap games. I mean, Michigan State, Sherman, really should have should have lost. I think you could argue at Rutgers last year. Well, it's uh, lost at the Big House. Well, right, but I mean that was no, but I mean that's too. That was a toss up. I mean, right, but I'm saying like if you're you look at like a, they go to Indiana in early October, and that's not necessarily a game that you freak out about, but that's a tough game. Yeah, Indiana's a bowl team. That's a good offense. They put up some points last year in East Lansing. So, you know, I, I don't want to base it all on schedule, but schedule wise, from a Big Ten perspective, they're set up pretty well. They go to Notre Dame early in the year. That'll be a tough one. They win again. We talked about this before. If they win that one, I think it changes the complexion of their yeah. whole season. But their tough their road games in the Big Ten uh, are Indiana, 
Maryland, Illinois, and then the last week on the regular season they go to Penn State. So there's nothing overly daunting in there. I mean, I think any real, I think realistically, any of those games could jump up and and surprise them if they're not on. But those certainly are winnable games. And they get Ohio State at home, they get Michigan at home, they get Northwestern at home, and they get Wisconsin at home. So they're the the main meat of their schedule is all has to come to East Lansing. Um, and so if someone else is going to win that division, they're going to have to go take it from them. I mean, some Michigan or Ohio State is going to have to win in East Lansing, I think, to win the division because I don't know that Michigan State then – if they win both those games, I doubt that they lose two more on that Big Ten schedule. So uh, someone has to go beat them in East Lansing, and on that – basis alone I don't think you can rule them out no totally agreed I will say and I think Michigan needs to watch out for this too that Maryland night game it could be an interesting one TJ Durkin I I don't it could be I could see them being a team that is not very good but annoying so we'll see what happens they do play Ohio State a week before Michigan which is makes it you know as you talked about as Ohio State gets rolling in the year you do wonder Ohio State could really make their their playoff case you know, that, that could be the Big Ten playoff spot right there it's, uh, the last two weeks in November with Ohio State playing Michigan State and Michigan. So, you know, that, that'll be interesting. I mean, is there a player on Michigan State that you're, you know, interested in watching? Or, I mean, I know you do some college scouting for SI. Is there, is there anyone that stands out to you that could be interesting to, to follow? Well, again, and we talked about being really good at defensive line, really good at cornerback. That's sort of been the staple for mm-hmm. Michigan State the last few years. I think it's probably going to be what they are again this year. They do have Riley Bulla back at, at linebacker has been good for them. Um, but again, they just keep they set, keep sending cornerbacks to the, the NFL and then keep dropping guys in. So I think Darian Hicks probably set up for a good year. Uh, Copeland's on the other side of the field is, a, is I think, just a sophomore. So um, someone to watch there. And Malik McDowell's really, you talk about players in the Big Ten capable of, sort of taking games over the way we've seen, uh, you know, Joey Bosa did or the way um, uh, some other Michigan State players have, (laughs) quite frankly, in in years past. Uh, When you talk about guys capable of doing that, Malik McDowell is probably one of the top two or three on that list because of what he can do on that defensive line. He has shown that he can be dominant, and if they can get him to play to his full potential for an entire year, uh, I mean, you're talking about potentially one of the best defensive linemen in all of college football. So, uh, you know, they'll be tough. Uh, I mean, they'll be tough in the trenches defensively. They'll be physical, beat you up outside. It's tough to find space against that defense. I think their problems, you mentioned it, is it's really a lot of the same issues. You know, quarterback, not really sure. Offensive line, you know, you kind of assume at this point that the offensive line at Michigan State will be physical and will be kind of bullies and will be able to move the pile, but they've lost a, a lot of talent there the last couple of years and, and some unfamiliar names on that depth chart. So uh, if they can't, if they can't sort of impose their will the way that they have at times, that obviously makes things a lot tougher. So um, I don't know. You just, it, I, mean, I think the way that they play and the style of football that they play to some extent guards against too huge a fall, even if they're not 
a great football team this year. Agreed. They'll be into that. They're a kind of team that is also equally as annoying to play against because they're just so physical. So they're they're the kind of team that is okay also with just grinding out three yard runs for three quarters, if only to wear down your D line so that they can break open the six, seven, eight yard runs. I think the guy that I'm most interested in is Josiah Price. You know, we talk about a new quarterback stepping in with O'Connor. A lot you hear this a lot in the NFL. I mean, you saw it with Joe Flacco when he came in with the Ravens, with Todd Heap, and then who turned into you know Dennis Pitta for a little while. I think you saw it last year with Rudock and Jake Butt. I think Josiah Price could be huge for O'Connor if he can stay open, if he can catch the ball like people think he'll be able to, and then also block off the edge. You know, Josiah Price could be a big piece to helping that offense get rolling. I will wonder. If similar to what Michigan did last year with Butt, if the offense won't be schemed a little bit to get some quick completions to Price, you know, for much of the game for the first few weeks, I would expect Furman to open it up more. But against Notre Dame, I could see Price being a focal point of that offense. You're really excited about that Furman game, man. Man, I just, you know, nothing gets me more excited about FCS to FBS. Well, I mean, one more thing on the schedule, though, because you mentioned going from Furman to Notre Dame, is that's their bye week is September 10th. Yeah. That's their bye between Furman and Notre Dame, and then they don't have another one for their next 11 games. So the way that they play, it doesn't just wear on the other team. It, we've seen it wear down their own offensive line at times. So, you know, I, that's, I guess that's kind of an X factor that if we're talking schedule, maybe you have to keep that in mind and, and sort of think about is how healthy are they going to become, you know, Halloween weekend when they – they play Michigan and come late November when they have that Ohio state Penn state back to back. And uh, most of those other teams have had the benefit of sort of a mid season break. They don't have that because they play BYU in the middle of the big 10 schedule. So uh, just sort of another thing to file away for a couple months from now. Uh, But some, you know, there's always, you never know what's going to tip the scales especially when things are this tight and look like they're going to be this close. So they, maybe that's it. I, I do want to get to the wings for a couple of minutes, but what's interesting now that I'm looking, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, what we'll talk about before <laughs> no, we get there really. is the Michigan-Illinois week, the Halloween week, what's very interesting is they'll go off of Michigan with no buy playing at Illinois and a Lovey Smith team that we're not sure what they're going to be yet. So I'm, I'd be curious. Bad. I think they'll be bad, but I mean, they're not going to be. Maybe not that bad, but bad. They're not going to be Rutgers. I mean, they're not going to be, you know, Northwest. Well, Northwestern's been better lately, but Northwestern of old. That could be an interesting, just sort of, couple weeks to kind of, you know, if they were to come off of a win at Michigan, could they have a letdown? Uh, I don't think there's necessarily any easy Big Ten road trip at this point. I mean, Rutgers, Rutgers you go to. You go to uh, Purdue, I guess. You go to Purdue, you should win by 40. But uh, Rutgers, you should win. But again, as I said, you know, Michigan lost there a couple years ago and you almost kind of throw those games out for Michigan's sake because it was the Brady Hoke years. But uh, Michigan lost there. Michigan State got pushed to the wire there last year. So did Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, there's not necessarily an easy, other than Purdue, there's not necessarily an easy Big Ten road trip. So. Penn, Penn State might not be so good. But, yeah, no, I agree. That's still a hard place to play on the road. So uh, Purdue, Rutgers, and Maryland probably have the least intimidating stadiums out of all of the, all of, all of the teams. So, But let's wrap up. This was good, feeling some, feeling some college football. 
feels good to talk about that again. But we'll go to the other fall favorite of you. The Detroit Red Wings signed Danny DeKaiser to a six-year, oh my gosh, too much money a year deal. I think it's $5 million a year. And then they signed Peter Mrazek to a two-year, $4 million a year deal, which technically puts them over the cap before they go to IR. I hate the Danny DeKaiser deal, as you know. Yeah, see, we're going to argue about this. We should have left more time for this. Why do you hate? Why? Okay, give. Me, I don't mind it. But he's not a top pairing defenseman. But he's a he's a he's a, how old is he? Twenty five, twenty six, twenty six. Okay, so he's twenty six, and you know for for sure you have a a second pair defenseman who can play some can kill some penalties and can pitch in some offense. I think he probably, and this is kind of the same way I felt about Brendan Smith the whole time they've had him. I think he could pitch in more offense if they give him a chance on the power play, but uh, that's another argument. I mean, his advanced peripherals um, are not great. I'll say that. I don't think it's a terrible deal. You look at the other names in that range, and it's a little steep, but the way the cap's been going, you know, I, I don't hate it. I mean, I understand it's, it's sort of a Ken Holland special. It's a, it's too many years at a slight overpay for a guy who you probably weren't going to lose. You know, it's sort of what it's exactly what happened to a lesser extent with Luke Glendening and Jonathan Erickson. They, did, they didn't need to extend Glendening like they need they needed to get a contract to Danny DeKaiser, but it, it's the same sort of idea where, you know, you're probably giving him more than you needed to. But at the same time, if Danny DeKaiser had hit the market. I don't think $5 million a year is out of line with what he could command as a mid-20s. Well, yeah, but you can't set the mar- – I mean, Matt Martin made, what, $8 million a year on the free agent market or something insane like that? I mean, I think my thing is I'm looking at his advanced statistics, which I know aren't the be-all, end-all of everything. But, you know, he had a 40 – you know, he had a his first year, 56% core C4 – Next year was a 48, year after that was a 54, year after that was a 48. And the bigger concern is that guys are playing at a, so there's a Corsi 4 percentage that's relative to the other players he's playing with, and he brings the other players he's playing down almost six points. So it could be a product of who he's being played with, and I think what you're getting at with him pitching in more on the offense, justifying that deal is also going to justify in the organization playing him in the appropriate spot to that deal now and not when Nick Cronwell's legs ultimately fall off and someone locks Jonathan Erickson in a closet. So they need to put him on the ice as a top pairing man now. And I guess I just wish you had an RFA year on him. Why wouldn't you just make him prove it? You weren't, like you said, you're not going to lose him anyway. So why wouldn't you just make him prove it for a year? Because you're worried, I guess, that he's going to outplay what he might, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that that's those numbers you mentioned certainly are concerning. The advanced metrics are concerning. He's a 20 point guy last year. You'd like to see him be bad. I mean, he was a 30 point guy the year before that. I think that's where he needs to be. But you really brought up, and we it's a topic that kind of has come up repeatedly with the Red Wings, not just on our show, but over and over again. You brought up that they don't always play these guys where they probably should be playing them because they are committed or overly loyal to some of the old guard. If you stack up the six defensemen 
six, seven, eight defensemen that the Red Wings have right now, there's no way Danny DeKaiser is not one of the two best guys on that roster. What? And that doesn't, you know, maybe maybe that's a problem. <laughs> I think that's the that larger as, problem. Right. You can look at that as a problem, sure. But in the in the in this specific argument, and in terms of his contract, I think you probably look at. I mean, I, who who is the best defenseman on this team? I think you could make a case that Danny Kaiser is the best defenseman on this team right Lexi now. Lexi Marchenko. Who? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah, at least out, last year. Right? At least as of last year, it certainly was not Nicholas Cronwall. No. It was not John Erickson. Mike Green wasn't very good. Uh, so, I mean, I mean that here's the, you're running out of names here's the story, that you could put above him. Is At this point, right, you've got to save. You're looking Quincy. at an expansion. No. Quincy was their best probably defenseman. Probably was their best defenseman. You're prob- that's probably not wrong. You've got to say, you've got to protect three defensemen going into next year's expansion draft. Sure. You're definitely going to protect Marchenko because he's cheap and good. You're probably going to protect one of Ouellette, Sproul, and Jensen, if any of them are ever left. And then you're stuck with deciding between DeKaiser, Smith, Green, anybody else that comes up through the system. You know, I mean, if they do end up pulling, uh, I think Rousseau would qualify up here pretty soon or... Billy, sorry, Billy, the the other rookie, the, the high draft pick defenseman they have. I think he could pick his second year up this year for and makes him eligible for the expansion draft. The Kaiser is going to be a very pickable guy at a very high price, nope. and nope, I nope. You're gonna you're gonna protect, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. So you're now protecting Danny Kaiser at five and exposing another player. I would wish he was cheaper because it would be easier to justify either losing him or protecting him at the expense of somebody else, I think is my problem. I mean, he's the, he's the second high paced defenseman, and I just wish he gave a little more all-around game. That's all I'll say. I wish he was a little bit more all-around. I wish he could play offense and defense. But since they have no one... I think he can. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, just, <laughs> I mean, I think... We haven't seen it. I mean, I think you're, at that point, you're... Mike Green will be will have one year left at $6 million on his deal. So I think they will have no problem, unless Mike Green puts up 60 points this year and is just dominant. Well, if they played him, so here's the thing. If they would put Green I, to Kaiser as the top pairing, I actually think it could be a good pairing. But I don't think, to just for the topic, I don't think there's, in my mind, there's no way they would protect Mike no, Green no. going into the final year of his contract no. over Danny to Kaiser. So No, I agree. You're protecting Marchenko, DeKaiser, and like you said, one other guy. I assume they let Green sit out there. I would, I mean, God willing, Las Vegas will take Jonathan Erickson, yeah, but <laughs> I can't imagine that happens. Take Cronwall. And they won't, they won't take Cronwall. Uh, so not that expensive. I'll say that. Cronwall's not very expensive looking at it. Take him. I mean, that's what I want. So I, I, the DeKaiser deal's fine. The Mrazic deal's fine. I wish it was longer, but, you know. It's, the Mrazic deal is very reasonable. Yeah, oh, definitely. The, the fear is that he outperforms the deal wildly, right. and then, then and that's the that they went the exact opposite extreme with the Kaiser. Right. I mean, if you were looking at that, that I think that's kind of the funny thing, and that's why it's it's always hard to you know Ken Holland. You you. It's not that hard to get a, a grasp on sort of how he treats his players and how he wants to operate, but then something like this happens, and the DeKaiser deals 
the Kaiser deal and Mrazic deal, if you flip-flopped them, I don't know that anyone would have been taken aback by that. No, no, not by at all. By the getting two and eight and Mrazic getting six years and thirty million. May, I mean, maybe you I'd raise an eyebrow at the length up. over Mrazic, but no, I don't think anyone would have minded if he reversed those contracts. So it's just another. He'd be so tradable at that at that number. That's the thing. Like the, the, right. I mean, the thing that's, that's the problem I, is that you're going to have a harder time trading Danny to Kaiser the further you go on in this deal with that cap number. I think that's my problem. I you can't trade your number one defenseman anyway, so it's <laughs> true. I guess my problem, my, and I've now I finally hit the point that I'm so frustrated at was that Dave Dombrowski, when he put the, together his last Tigers team, he made it very blow upable, very easy to hit the reset button. And Ken Holland has done anything but that, and this team is almost impossible to hit the reset button on now. Well, it's a good thing no one ever hits the reset button <laughs> because happy times are here again. They're never going to hit it as long as Ken Holland's there. That's true. And yeah, and I don't, I, I don't mind it. I, I think there's more to DeKaiser's game than what he's been given the chance to show the last couple. I mean, of years. this is only he so. is going into his fourth year, pro year. So, and as you said, some of the some of the problems for him. I mean, if you're getting paired with Erickson, or you're getting paired with an injured Nicholas Cronwall. I don't even Your know what regular go this Cronwall looks like. Your numbers are going to go down. There's just no way, no way around it that you're going to give up more shots on goal. You're not going to generate much offense. So I would love to see him. I mean, I, the Kaiser Green, the Kaiser Smith, something where they can – I mean, they, they're so desperate for offense, but they refuse to let their offensive defensemen go play offense. So I don't know. It would be nice to pair Danny DeKaiser with somebody who could clean up for Danny DeKaiser instead of making DeKaiser clean up for everybody else. Marchenko? That would be fun. I'd I play him with Marchenko. I could play with Marchenko. That's fine. That's a good second pairing right there. In my Heck, mind. I'd pay him with, play him with Ulet. In all honesty. You could play there. Fine. DeKaiser, Marchenko on your second pairing. Mike Green and no one on the first <laughs> pairing. And then four just play third four pairing, forwards and so, Mike Green. Just always play the power play unit as the first line. And then, probably still wouldn't generate any offense. Uh, well, just to, to, to recap our show. Don't depress me about the Red Wings in July, man. So to, I'm still drinking the Kool-Aid in July. To recap our show, the Lions have too many wide receivers, so someone you like will get cut. Michigan and Michigan State are both overrated, but could both be great, and the Red Wings are completely screwed after siding to Kaiser and Mrazek. No, I like the Mrazek deal. I agree with you. Uh, I think to Kaiser could fit if he's played well. I, we're going a little long, so I do want to wrap up. But one last thing, we'll get into it at the trade deadline. Rumors out there today that the Tigers are in on Lucroy. Yes or no? No. I'm a no as well. We will get into that next week. <laughs> so Salty. For that, no, yeah, free salty 2016. Or free McCann, you hit a dinger today. For that, this is yet another edition of the Detroit Sports Show. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with the break. We'll give you more notice next time. Hopefully my flight won't be diverted when I take vacation again. For Chris Burke, I'm Andrew Tomlinson. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week, hopefully, with the Tigers team that's in playoff position.